The Joy Unleashed show empowers and inspires women to reclaim their joy. We provide tools, resources, and connections to help you unlock your true potential through engaging conversations, expert insights, and transformative stories. We create a vibrant and inclusive community where women can break free from the limitations that hold them back. I'm joyologist Colleen Greco, and it is my honor to be your host. Let's get right into the show. If you feel like you're stuck, if you feel like you don't quite know your purpose, or maybe you know it, but you just can't find the path toward it. If you're uncomfortable in your own skin and want to finally master self-love, then we need to talk. I'm Colleen Greco, and I'm your joyologist. I help women just like you to reclaim the joy they feel is missing in their life through mindset coaching and nutrition coaching. Whether you have weight to lose or simply need to get your gut in check, I've got you. We'll work together to retire limiting beliefs. Those are the stories that are keeping you from your purpose. I need you to hear me. Those are the stories that we need to get rid of in order to get you on your path to your purpose. We will work together to get you that life you've always dreamed of. It would be my honor to connect with you. Reach out to me via Instagram at the Colleen Greco or email Colleen at ColleenGreco.com. Let's get you back to the show. Welcome back to the Joy Unleashed show. I'm your humble host and resident joyologist, Colleen Greco. And today I'm thrilled to welcome Alicia Carlson to the show. After her turn on the diet hamster wheels, she made the conscious choice to jump off, look at her reality differently and discover food freedom which is really is the ultimate goal for all of us, I, I assure you. But this ultimately led her to becoming a lifestyle coach, a podcaster, and a speaker. So without further ado, let's welcome Alicia to the show. Hey, Colleen. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. I, I can't wait to to dive into your story and, and hear um, all about it. Um, one of the things that I am really... Uh, I guess, passionate about, and I think we, we overlap in our message here is how important, um, self-love is. Mm -hmm. And it's my belief. It's the foundation of transformation. And you share that your focus is about teaching women how to radically love themselves, love their bodies and their lives. So if you could spend a few minutes telling us a little bit more about what you mean, I think that would be really helpful for the viewers. Yeah. So when I think about that and even hearing it kind of reflected back, I think a lot of times when we hear, oh, just love your body or just love your life or love yourself, we think that, well, the the image, I guess, that kind of comes up for me is that it sort of is this like, oh, I have to love what I look like all the time, or I have to love like every aspect and always be grateful and those kinds of things. And while I do know that there is so much kind of emerging research that supports the practice of gratitude and things like that. The reality is, is that you are going to wake up and there are going to be days where maybe you're not in love with your life or you're not in love with what your body looks like. And so I like to kind of shift that a little bit more to kind of encompass when we're looking at love, when I think about like loving my husband, well, I'm committed to him. I'm, you know, I desire to honor and respect him. And so it's kind of, it's reflecting that back onto ourselves. So what does that look like to honor and respect ourselves, to treat ourselves with kindness? Uh, you know, if you think about the person that you love the most in the world, 
how would you want to treat that person or how do you attempt to treat that person? And then how can we start to kind of reflect that back on ourselves? Um, and then loving your life is really about being intentional with the life that you are building and creating rather than being kind of a um, passive person in your life where life is just sort of happening to you. You're making choices that you were led to believe was kind of like the right path, right? You know, go to college, get a great career, do, you know, blah, blah, blah. Here's the formula versus really looking and like, is that even what I want? Or for me, I always kind of knew that I wanted to have a career that allowed some flexibility so that I can be there for my kids. I can pick them up. I can get them to school most days. So I think, you know, when we're looking at loving your life, it's really being intentional about the life that you're building and creating. And then, you know, loving your body is treating it with respect, treating it with kindness and honoring and nourishing it. I completely agree with everything you're saying. In fact, I just posted something uh, this morning. I have a, like a, a weekly Wednesday kind of message, which is called, here's what I know. So it's usually about a minute. It's something usually top of mind, but something that I'm thinking that I want to share with other people. And it was all about, guys, we've won. We've won. We have it all right now. You, from what I can tell, have a roof over your head. Mm -hmm. You, um, you know, we talked before um, we recorded that you've eaten, there's food in your stomach, right? You are loved. You have the love of your family. Like, that's it. That's mm -hmm. all that matters. And these other things, you know, kind of expand upon that. But that to the to the core, you know, when you're on your deathbed, those are the things that you're going to reflect on, not these other things. So I love that, you know, we share that self-love piece um, so closely to to what it is we do, because it's it's really all that matters. Mm -hmm. um, please go ahead. Well, yeah, I was just going to say, I think that really puts into perspective, like if you're looking at the end of your life and what what do you want people to remember about you and the way that you lived or what do you think people will remember about you? And it's really is eye opening when you think about like my kids aren't necessarily going to remember what size jeans I wore, what my body looked like, how I weigh, you know, how much I weighed, how much money I made or the, you know, any of those things. They're really going to remember like our connection and our relationship, how I treated them, what I, I modeled for them in terms of values and morals and those kinds of things. Um, so I think, you know, kind of taking that end of life perspective and like reflecting back can be such a good uh, North Star, if you will, to really help you kind of filter what what matters and what you prioritize right now. A hundred percent. I I talk to a lot of people and hear a lot of misconceptions about self-love, mainly many mistaken um, self-love with self-care. Mm. So what's your take on on the difference there. Yeah. I mean, so again, right. It's like, when I think about loving myself, well, it's, am I honoring myself? Am I being respectful? Am I considering the dreams, you know, the future that I want to be building? And am I making decisions in alignment with that? Um, when I think about self-care, that's those kind of basic things of, am I eating throughout the day? Am I fueling my body with stuff that's ultimately going to make my body feel good? good. 
um, kind of avoiding those, you know, highs and lows where you're constantly chasing sugar and caffeine just to keep your energy up. Uh, am I getting enough sleep? Am I prioritizing that sleep? Quiet time. Um, am I drinking enough water? Right. So it's like those, the, those are kind of the little building blocks, I think, that ultimately end up fueling your ability to move through your life and, and be really intentional about building the life that you want to be living. Now, if you don't mind, I want to take a step back for a second and go into your background. Um, <clears throat> on your website, you say you went from couch potato to figure competitor. Yeah. Guessing that wasn't a, you know, an overnight change, but maybe tell us a little bit about what that journey looked like. Cause I think that's really important for people to know, you know, where you came from to where you are now. Yeah. So I remember kind of always feeling like I was in a little bit of a bigger body. And when I look at it now, like my body probably really wasn't that different than my friends, but it just felt like, oh my gosh, you know, even from elementary or middle school, really comparing my body to other people's. And so, you know, I dazzle, I attempted diets and weight loss kind of throughout high school and my early 20s. Um, but I would typically kind of start a workout plan, you know, I'd buy a magazine where it's like lose X pounds in six weeks or 12 weeks. I would start the diet, start the workout plan three days in, which I laugh, I kind of chuckle because I'm like, okay, in three days, really, like, you're not going to notice any visible change. But I would feel discouraged, I would feel defeated, because I wouldn't see any change. And I would feel like, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm working so hard, I'm trying so hard to follow this diet really well. So I would quit and I would give up. Um, that kind of happened for a while. And I think eventually it was just kind of like, who cares? I'm just going to eat what I, you know, I'm not even going to worry about it. I'm going to eat what I want to eat. Exercise wasn't really a priority. And then in 2007, I was getting married. And like most women, I wanted to feel good walking down the aisle. I wanted to feel beautiful. And in hindsight, you know, I was really thinking I had to lose weight in order to accomplish that. Either way, it ended up kind of sparking me going on kind of this journey so that I would look good for the wedding by losing weight, um, ended up doing that. And so I lost the weight. I was at kind of the lowest weight up to that point that I had ever been, uh, kind of figured out how to live, you know, what I thought was a healthy lifestyle and later learned that it really, you know, while the actions and the activities were healthy for the most part. Uh, it did get to a point where it was a little bit extreme and unhealthy, I think, mentally and emotionally, and then ultimately physically, which I didn't realize that until after I had kind of transitioned and moved into figure shows. So initially, when I started my journey, I started with running. And I always say, you know, that was kind of the gateway into this fitness journey and really into what I'm doing now. And I'm so thankful that I did embark on that journey because it really was the first time in my life where I felt like I was starting to come up against certain limiting beliefs or stories that I had told to myself about myself. Oh, I'm not really a runner or, you know, yeah, I can't really do that. And so, you know, I started running, started enrolling in races, setting, you know, goal times and crushing those. And that really kind of started to open up like what else is out there, um, you know, but unfortunately, I got to kind of my smallest size, my lightest weight running 
and still didn't feel satisfied in my body. I felt like there was more that I could do, more that I could lose. And so I'm like, okay, well, let's go into the figure shows. Let's, you know, start lifting weights a little bit more. Um, ended up doing some shows fairly shortly after I had my second son, or not my second son, my second child, our son. And, um, you know, again, looking back, I jumped way too soon into that kind of a lifestyle and exercise. Um, but again, you know, it was really, for me, that really helped to kind of form some discipline, form some focus of, can I really be diligent to stick with something this demanding for 12 weeks? And so there were a lot of great things that came out of that. Um, and now, you know, that's for sure has informed kind of my non-diet approach, but there was definitely a point in time where going that route really triggered some unhealthy behaviors and patterns around food and exercise. I have some friends that have done the competition circuit too. And the, you know, eating fish three meals a day for the last X number of weeks with riced broccoli and some other vegetable, like is just not sustainable. And that's why, you know, post-competition, I would think you probably gained 10 to 15 pounds almost right away. Is so anything I, like they are, you know, they had the bacon double yes. cheeseburger <laughs> that afternoon. Yeah. So I, I mean, I eventually did end up gaining weight back, obviously, but for a long period of time, I was able to maintain a pretty low body fat percentage. Um, and part of that, you know, there was the fear of getting fat and gaining weight again, which really, you know, if I go all the way back, kind of stemmed to the messaging that I received around you know, women should look a certain way, we should be a certain yes. size. I think there's even subliminal messaging out there that we should, in a sense, always kind of be dieting or trying to lose weight or trying to improve our body in some way, um, physically. And so for me, I was able to hold off for a long time. But then yes, eventually, I did end up gaining weight, kind of going into a bulking season to prepare for the next year of shows. And that was definitely, there was some challenge there. I'd love to hear a little bit more about the highs and lows, if you're comfortable sharing that, because th there is a certain mindset that you have to have when you jump into a competition. Um, and I don't, I shouldn't say jump in because it was planned for you and you did many of them. Um, but tell us what you learned about um, food. What did you learn about yourself throughout this whole experience? Yeah. Um, I mean, food, I definitely, I would say that was probably like the cleanest I had ever eaten. Um, but also, you know, with that clean eating, there can become a fear around certain food of, you know, oh, I have to only eat food that doesn't have any of this artificial ingredients and things like that, <clears throat> which for the most part, I think that's pretty sage advice to within your means, eat as much as you can. <clears throat> Sorry. That's okay. I was like, maybe I can clear it, but <clears throat> no. Um, you know, eating as much as you can within your means as minimally processed, but this is where really working on your relationship to food as well um, comes into play. So I think, you know, learning a lot about the ingredients, about the meal prepping, the meal planning, planning ahead those meals is a, an incredibly helpful tool, especially if you're busy, right? It's like just plan ahead of time, then you don't have to think about it. Uh, but of course, we will all probably come up against the resistance when it comes time to eat it, that we don't actually want to eat the thing that we planned ahead of time. Um, 
in terms of, you know, exercise and discipline and things like that, that really was one of the most beneficial things was being able to set the goal and stick with it, follow through, see it to the end. Because up until that point, I didn't really have a good track record with myself to do that. I think some of the lows was obviously just becoming super obsessive about food, about your weight, about, you know, what your body looks like, a lot of over-exercising. So it kind of took this thing that started out as a health and fitness journey and really it kind of morphed into something that ended up controlling my life to a, a great degree for a while. And I can completely understand that. And I'm glad to hear you're out of that loop because <laughs> that can be pretty scary too. Um, one of the things that I talk to my clients about is, is this idea is their mindset, right? So I tell them truthfully, anyone can lose weight. You can. I mean, maybe you can't, or you don't feel like you can get to your goal by yourself, but anybody can lose weight. The trick is that most of these programs don't teach you how to keep it off. And so that's where mindset comes in. And for me, um, a little bit about my story is that when I was on a weight loss journey and I had never had a weight problem really either, you know, you look back at those pictures now and you're like, girl, what were you thinking? Um, yeah. but my coach, I had said to him, you know, aren't you going to help me develop these strategies so that I never go back to this weight again? Don't you want to know what caused me to get to, um, you know, at, the, at this point I had lost about 35 pounds by the end, it was 52 in total. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had a little bit of more, a little bit more time. And he said, I'm not your therapist. And I thought, Oh, mm -hmm. bad answer, bad answer opportunity though. I can do this better yeah. than you. So I, and then, you know, kind of set on my own charter to develop what I call the SNAP method, which is a methodology I teach to, to help women redirect their response to triggers and remove those limiting beliefs that you were just talking about earlier. Once you remove the emotion from the limiting belief and you learn how to have a more productive response to the trigger, the weight just doesn't come back. You have a healthy respect for food. You use it for what it's intended for. I mean, food, food's job is to just keep you alive. It isn't your friend. It isn't, you know, your, your, you know, warm, fuzzy blanket. It isn't there, you know, for entertainment or anything. It's there to keep you alive. And if we're putting the wrong expectations on food, well then, you know, look at the results that can then occur. So, you know, teaching people how to rewrite their narrative, reclaim their power, and get them back to joy is really the number one goal um, in my world. And I'm curious, um, has your experience been much the same? Or, you know, how do you, what are you finding is um, that missing link that helps people keep the weight off um, where maybe it, it hadn't before? Yeah, <clears throat> I think definitely the mindset and changing the way that you look at and approach food or exercise is definitely a key piece. And it's something that I feel very strongly is missing from what I would say is kind of the mainstream or the traditional route, right? Of like, here's a meal plan, here's a workout program. If you follow this perfectly, then you're going to get to your goal, right? And I do think to some extent, we've also been kind of set up with maybe an unrealistic expectation that 
if I set a goal to lose 20 pounds in the next 20 weeks, I should for sure be able to do that. And I, I mean, I proved to myself that I was able to lose weight and keep it off for a number of years, but I always felt like I was kind of fighting with my body and fighting with the scale a little bit. So I think weight is one of those things that's interesting in that we don't know for sure, like what somebody's healthy weight range is. And I do believe that we have a weight range very much. So like the doctors predict that you're going to be within probably a certain height based on genetics, based on, you know, kind of your growth and all those kinds of things where weight obviously differs is that we can impact our weight. I mean, we can very easily go outside of that weight range going above it because our body doesn't have really any mechanisms to stop it mm -hmm. from gaining weight. Uh, you can also go below that weight range, but I think that's really where it feels a lot like you're constantly fighting with your body. You're constantly struggling with the scale because you're trying to push your body to be maybe at a lower weight than what naturally would be kind of the range. Um, so I think, you know, a big part of what is missing from that traditional model is the mindset component. It's really looking at, you know, what were the, the things that I was taught about food or that I was taught about, you know, if I'm talking to a woman about a woman's body or a man's body, what do I believe about weight and those kinds of things? Um, and then, you know, a key part of what I do is really working on your relationship to food, your relationship to exercise, to your body. But at the end of the day, it's your relationship to yourself, right? Because if I don't have a good relationship to myself, I'm going to constantly be looking to all of these external factors. It could be my husband. It could be, you know, my kids behaving or performing well. It could be what my body looks like or the success in my business. And I'm always going to be attempting those things, needing those things in order for me to feel fulfilled and to feel filled up. Whereas when I'm coming from a place of having a solid relationship with myself, and part of that is I follow through, I do what I say I'm going to do just in the way that I would for anybody else, then making decision, decisions around food and exercise and all of those things become so much easier. Couldn't agree more. And I, you know, it was kind of got me thinking when I first started, I, I did tell somebody I was going to lose 50, 50 pounds. And she's like, you don't have that to lose. And I thought, um, oh, I think I, I, think I do. <laughs> this, let me just check. It. Yep, it's in there. Um, yeah, as far as there. People, when you're first starting, don't have that kind of a goal. That is insurmountable. That's like telling you to go run a marathon untrained or mm -hmm. climbing you know, Mount Kilimanjaro. So it's really overwhelming when you start, but there are also bits of excitement weaved in. So what are some basic tips that you can share about maybe how to get started as somebody begins to explore this journey? I think the big thing, and this is going to come probably as maybe a bit of a surprise, or there could be some pushback on this, but it's kind of, it's releasing the weight goal altogether. So okay. it's kind of putting it actually on the shelf. It's we're not saying that you don't still have the goal or that's not the thing that you eventually are working toward. But again, I think we become so hyper focused on the number. And so we will take really extreme measures that aren't super sustainable for the long term 
we're constantly checking the scale. And when it's not moving in the way that we think, this goes back to the mindset. We're like, oh my gosh, this isn't working. I must be doing something wrong. And so then, you know, we end up maybe self-sabotaging or doing subtle things that end up making it not work, right? So as contrary and as uncomfortable as that's going to feel, it's kind of taking the weight goal and it's like, okay, this is maybe a goal that we have, but let's go ahead and set it off to the side. Mm -hmm. Now, what are, like, how would I have to live my life differently to reach that goal? Who would I have to become to reach that goal, right? And so uh, it can be a really helpful tool to kind of go into the future. And we sort of touched on this earlier, kind of that end of life, like, let's go to the future where you can imagine a place where you are living your life at that goal weight, how are you living your life? Like, who are you being? What does your behavior around food look like or exercise? Are you constantly obsessing about the scale and all of those kinds of things? And so then we can really start to get a clear kind of roadmap and blueprint. And now you know what to start to implement now. But as long as we're attached to that number on the scale, it's going to be really hard to kind of follow through with that because we're going to be continually trying to operate from sort of that old diet mentality. Completely. When I'm first doing an intake, I'll write that down for context, just so I know, is it 20? Is it 50 ballpark? Um, I never share that in a few weeks, you'll forget what that number even was because we do break the connection, the emotional connection to the scale. But it's funny how hard it is for people to let go. My my goal, once I had started and realized that 50 felt like too big of a number, my goal was to simply sit down without adjusting my shirt. You know how it gathers in like the best place possible. When you yeah. sit down, <laughs> I was like, I just want to sit down and not have to adjust my shirt and just be comfortable with how I look. And, you know, it took a few weeks, but, you know, I eventually got there and then my goals changed. I had, I, I had been called fat when I was 10. So I never wore a bikini my entire life. And I was so bikini worthy at any size, by the way, but, yeah. but really in, in the eyes of anybody who is creating a magazine, I was worthy and I just didn't see it. Um, so I eventually got into that bikini and was like, okay, okay. And then you know, and then the goals got, you know, they changed. You go into fitness goals. I've always been a runner. So maybe I want to get back into half marathons or mm -hmm. I want to, you know, do this differently or, you know, I'm, I'm getting older. Maybe I want to, you know, maintain my muscle mass because as women get older, they lose a lot of um, mm -hmm. muscle mass. That's, that's really important as you lose estrogen. So I, I love that, you know, you have a, a similar mindset because the scale is, a data point. It is mm -hmm. one of probably 12 that I measure on a given day to tell somebody whether or not they're making progress. But even those data points don't matter. The ones that really matter are the ones that are in their head. Yeah. You know, changing that is what really leads to this major transformation and this idea of permanency. Yeah. And it's looking at like, how do you feel in your life? Right. Um, it's a huge win, I think, if you are thinking about your body less, if your, your mind is not constantly consumed with what do I look like, what are people saying, oh my gosh, they're probably saying this about me, or thinking about food. Um, I don't, don't think I realized how much of my life was consumed 
by my weight and my body until it wasn't anymore. Yep. And the amount of, I think, peace of mind that I have now that I'm not constantly, you know, every time I walk by a mirror or a window looking and feeling really insecure or just thinking about my myself so much really frees you up to be, you know, a better wife or a better mom or, you know, to go after maybe those career goals and things like that. But uh, it really is a huge distraction that we don't even realize, I think, until we're not in that anymore. So I know you have a special offer. Let me put it up here on the screen. Um, For the listeners and viewers today, it's called the Mindful Eating Project. I'm hoping you can tell us a little bit about what this is about, or maybe share a few teasers that get people thirsty for more. Yeah. So the Mindful Eating Project was really kind of a reflection on my journey sort of out of the diet mentality and dieting. Um, It is taking kind of an intuitive approach to nutrition. So really helping you connect or reconnect to your body, because if you have been dieting, if you have been, you know, trying to follow all of this external information about what you should eat and how much, there's a lot that we just don't even recognize that our body is trying to tell us. So A lot of it is about getting back in touch with your body, reconnecting, learning how to take this intuitive approach of like, okay, I'm starting to feel hungry. This thing may sound good, but I know that this thing is probably going to be better for me. And so then we start to bring in that mindfulness as well. So I like to say it's a blend of intuitive nutrition and mindfulness, uh, really putting you in the driver's seat with food. So I think you know, a common misconception of sort of the anti-diet space is that if you just eat whatever you want to, whenever you want to, that's food freedom. But the reality is, is that if you are constantly being controlled by your temptation or your urges or your cravings, then I would argue you're probably not any more free around food than you were when you felt like you were trying to control everything so tight. So, um, you know, it kind of takes you through some of the basic intuitive principles around food, recognizing, you know, what are the diet rules or the diet mentalities that I've been living around, Um, getting you to engage with foods that typically feel very scary, especially if you've been dieting, you might have a belief, I can't trust myself around this food, or I can't be trusted with this food. And so part of it is learning how to trust yourself to eat the food if you want to, but then being able to stop when you want to as well. That is going to take some practice, especially depending on where you're coming from. But really, that's what the Mindful Eating Project is about. It's about it's that beginning step, that first step to helping you work on your relationship to food so that you can be in that driver's seat and not be controlled any longer by what you eat. I love it. Now, I will say as a well-trained person, I am still powerless against whoopie pies. (laughs) There's it's like it's over. I'm going to eat it. I'm not going to share it. You can be certain of that. And if there's more than one, I will go for the second and the third and the, I don't even get, it's just, it reminds me of my childhood. My mom used to make them like just powerless, but anything else, I'm it's probably fair game. Although last night we did give um, Snickers last night was Halloween folks for the ones that are watching this in a, in a couple weeks, we gave like Skittles and starburst because 
I am a pretty big fan of Snickers bars and I wasn't sure if I was safe around those, but anything else goes, anything else yeah. can be in this house. <laughs> yeah. And it, I mean, that is, you bring up an interesting point um, just in that food that tends to be more highly processed is a lot harder for us to control ourselves around. Yes, um, It is created, it's manufactured, engineered, whatever you want to say to be something that is so easy to go from the bag to the mouth and not even realizing it. So I think that's another thing that's been helpful. Like when you recognize like, oh, it's not just me, like this food was yeah. actually engineered to keep me eating it. Um, you know, that's, that can be helpful, but then also just recognizing if there are certain foods that you have a hard time kind of putting the brakes on, being mindful of that, being, having that awareness and then setting it up to where you really have to think about like going and getting the Snickers or going and getting the whoopie pie. Um, and sometimes just creating that little bit of barrier or friction can be enough to kind of get you to think, okay, right. if I'm being intentional, if I'm being mindful, do I really want to go get this thing? Do I really want this? Yep. You just have to break that mental connection. Although I, I'll take a whoopie pie literally any day of the week. <laughs> um, so recently I launched um, my journal. It's an Amazon Amazon best-selling journal. I'm really proud of it called The Daily Dose of Joy. And its purpose is really to help women unpack their limiting beliefs so that they can reclaim joy and and you know, kind of fill that void that's missing in their life. Journaling is something I do every single day as part of my morning routine to make sure I set myself up for the day um, properly and feel really grounded. What's What are some of your daily practices that help you to feel grounded and, you know, put you in the, the right mindset to attack the day? Uh, I mean, a big staple for me is obviously is spending time in the in my Bible and spending some time in prayer. Um, that is typically what I go to first. Um, and then I do spend some time in visualization. So really thinking about the future that I'm building, you know, how do I want to go through the day when I look at the end of the day? How will I know that I was successful in my family, in my marriage, you know, in my business, those kinds of things. Um, and then I've recently started incorporating something that's called a brain prime. So this is you taking, you know, things that you want to believe or things that maybe you do already on some level believe, and you're listening to it back kind of in your own voice. So it differs a little bit, I think, in affirmations, because sometimes when we're doing affirmations, we're just kind of going through the motion or maybe we're believing some, or we're trying to believe something that is so far out of what we actually believe. And so it ends up kind of creating that resistance. The brain, this, you know, the, the thing with the brain prime is that it's really is just kind of getting you into that repetition, right? So it's like, if we go back to the mindset, what we believe right now is pretty much on subconscious, right? So it was just things that were repeated over and over again, that then we just started to believe it. So if we want to be intentional about switching that mindset or shifting the way that we think, we have to get those reps in. So the brain priming really helps with that. I love it. Thank you for sharing that. And I don't know that I've come across brain prime yet. So I'm going to check that out myself. Yeah. Um, so 
I, that, that was my final question truly. And I want to make sure you have, um, you know, if there were some parting thoughts you wanted to share that you had an opportunity to do that with our viewers and listeners. Yeah. I think, you know, at the end of the day, the work that it sounds like Colleen and I both do is really just centered around helping you get in touch with yourself, work on your relationship to yourself through self-care or loving yourself better, um, really building that strong foundation. Because I firmly believe that when you invest in yourself, you are changing your family tree, right? So often, I think women especially, and I've come across this too with some of the men that I've worked with, there's a little bit of guilt or like, maybe I don't deserve this, or I shouldn't invest in myself in this way because it feels selfish. But when you think about when you invest in yourself, not only are you investing in you, but you're investing in your family, you're investing in the generations to come, like what you do will have a ripple either way. So really be thinking about, you know, do what kind of a ripple, what kind of an effect on my family tree do I want to have? Um, that has been something that's come up a lot in coaching recently and is a really powerful thing to think about is that what I'm choosing to do right now is shifting certain generational things. And so Bravo. hopefully that's of an of encouragement for you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if not for you, then how about the generations behind you? Right. I think yeah. that's, that's a really powerful note to end on. I want to make sure people know how to get in touch with you. So here's your Instagram. It's at Alicia Carlson underscore and Alicia's website is aliciacarlson.com. Alicia, thank you so much for being on the show today. I think this is an awesome conversation and one that just needs to keep happening. People need to keep hearing women, especially need to keep hearing this message. For some reason, we feel like we need to be given permission to invest in ourselves. Do it because the, the, the output, the, the, benefits are just mm -hmm. insurmountable. Um, you know, the, it, it, there's too many to even calculate and I really appreciate your time today. Yeah. Thank you so much, Colleen, for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Well, that was another episode of Joy Unleashed. Be sure to, to, to subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for tuning in to Joy Unleashed. As always, it's my honor to be your host and joyologist, Colleen Greco. Follow me at the Colleen Greco on Instagram for daily motivation and inspiration. And don't forget to leave my show a review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, sisters. <laughs>